0: This is Romans part 48, and we will get into chapter 16, hopefully. So we're venturing to the last chapter. Uh, But we'll cover verses 27 through uh, Romans 16, verse 2. It says, It have pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been uh, partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Synchria, that you receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a secureer of many, and of myself also. So if you remember last week, we covered uh, verses 25 and 26, where Paul talked about he's going to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it has pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, To make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And so we looked at some verses in Paul's epistles where he had collected money from the Macedonians and those in Achaia to take to the Jews in uh, Jerusalem, right? And we covered how they had sold all that they had, had all things common, and then a famine came, plus the kingdom didn't come, and so they were poor, right? They had sold all that they had, expecting the kingdom to come, and when it didn't happen, they were now poor. So Paul was taking up the collection to minister to them. Um, we also covered about how, right, God promised to take care of them, why were they poor? Right. And we saw in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus did take care of those that followed him, that forsook all. You had the miracles of the five loaves, or the five loaves and the two fishes, right, where he blessed it. That's what you were going to see in the kingdom, right? You follow Christ, he's gonna provide for you. Um, the reason that's not happening today is because God's doing something different. So it's pretty clear that's not happening today, right? It's because of that transition. The kingdom's not being offered today, right? We're in a dispensation of grace. Uh, but that's the context of verse 27, where he says, It hath pleased them verily, and they're dead as they are. So when he says it hath pleased them verily, um, it means that the Macedonians and those in Achaia were generous givers, right? They were happy to give the money to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And we covered that in a... Uh, Second Corinthians eight one through four and nine one through seven, where Paul talks about uh, this collection and the Macedonians and the Achaeans given. Uh, he says, "And their debtors they are." So he's speaking about the Gentiles being debtors to the Jews. Um, this is historically and spiritually, right? Genesis twelve three, the promise was that in Abraham and his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Right, that's what's going to happen in the future. We'll be blessed through Israel. Um, think about Christ. How did Christ come? What line did he come from? He came from Abraham, right? Through David. He came through Israel. Was it not for Israel in that separate nation, right, the bloodline could have been corrupt, and Christ would not have come, right? And, of course, God orchestrated all that. Also, Romans three two, it talks about uh, the Jews have whereof to boast, or Israel has whereof to boast, because unto them was given the oracles of God. Right? We have the word of God because of Jews, right? So you can see historically, spiritually, we are debtors to the Jews, right? God chose to work through them in the past, right, to do these things. Now, so that's what he says here, right? Have pleased them to give this money, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Uh, so don't get tripped up here. It doesn't say that we are now partakers of Israel's covenants or their physical blessings, earthly blessings. It says spiritual blessings. Right and there's a difference between the spiritual, spiritual and the physical that was promised to Israel. And so we'll look at a few of those things. If you go to John four twenty two, right. Many people say, see this verse here says we're part of the new covenant with Israel now, and that's not what it's saying. All right, it says we are partakers of their spiritual things. John four twenty two says. Uh, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. right? In time past, salvation was of the Jews. right? Salvation had to come to Jerusalem first, before it would go to the Gentiles. If you go to Acts 28, verse 28, Paul, speaking to Jewish leaders here, says, Be it known, therefore, unto you, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. So here, Paul saying salvation is sent to the Gentiles, right? In this dispensation, salvation is to all men, right? It's not to the Jews first, right? It doesn't have to come to Jerusalem before it can go to the rest of the world. It's to all men uh, by the gospel. So that is a spiritual blessing that we are partakers of, right? Salvation it was promised first to Israel, but now we partake of that. Um, you also have the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He was promised to be the Messiah for Israel. Right to come and redeem them to save them from their enemies instead of this kingdom. Uh, John one eleven says that he came unto his own, and his own received them not. Well, who is his own? It's Israel, right? It's those in the flesh that are his kinsmen. Uh, if you look at Romans nine five, we covered this a few months back, um, where it talks about these this list of things that were promised to Israel. We'll start in verse 4. It says, Who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. Right In the flesh, Christ came to Israel. Right. It was prophesied that he would come to redeem them. Um, but if you go to Second Corinthians 5.16, Says, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh; yea, that we have known Christ after the flesh. Yet now henceforth know we Him no more. All right. So in the flesh, Christ came to Israel because they were promised that He would do so. But Christ isn't here in the flesh anymore, right? And we no longer know Christ after the flesh. We know Him according to uh His spiritual body and what He's doing from heaven. And in Romans fifteen sixteen. Paul said that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So Paul ministers Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Right in the flesh, he came to his own. He was promised to come to Israel to redeem them. But now Paul is preaching Jesus Christ to Gentiles. Right. Um, Ephesians two twelve through eighteen. says that at, time, that at that time we were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes are far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who have made both one, and have broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. All right, so Gentiles were strangers to the promises that Israel was given, right, strangers to their covenants. Uh, they were without uh, having no hope and without God in the world, right? But he says, now in Christ Jesus, we who sometimes were far off from made nigh. So it's in Christ that we can be uh, made to have fellowship with God, right? And there's no wall there between Jew and Gentile now, right? He's broken that down, right? He says we both have access by the Spirit into this one body, um, and again, that's in Christ Jesus, right? Because Paul ministered Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Uh, so again, that's another spiritual blessing that we as Gentiles have that was promised to Israel, right? Christ Jesus was promised to come to them and save them. Um, And then also the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 through 18. It says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. All right, So this is Jesus talking to his uh, 12 disciples saying, the Spirit is going to come to you. Right, He is the comforter. He's going to come be with you and will be in you. All right, So there was a promise to these uh, 12 apostles of Israel that they would receive the Spirit. In the book of Acts, before the Spirit comes at Pentecost, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith, He, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days since. All right, so he tells them to stay in Jerusalem because the Holy Ghost is going to come to you. All right, so again, this promise that the Holy Ghost would come to them. Um, we'll look at the new covenant and what it talks about here in a few minutes, but it talks about the Spirit of God coming in them and causing them right to keep His law. So that was a promise given to Israel, and it's part of their new covenant, that they would have the Spirit and dwell them. Uh, but we also now are partakers of that promise, right, in Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.6 says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Right, so we are the temple of God, and His Spirit dwells in us. Ephesians 1.13 says that after we trust it, uh, it says, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. All right, so we, as members of the body of Christ, after we trust the gospel, are sealed with the Spirit. And it's the same Spirit that was promised to come to Israel, that was part of that new covenant, to cause them to keep the law, right, and to be able to uh, enter into the kingdom. So we are partakers of that spiritual promise. So you can see here when Paul says, right, Gentiles are partakers of their spiritual things. He's not talking about, right, we get earthly blessings, we're part of this new covenant. That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying we're receiving the spiritual blessings that they were promised. Um, He says their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. So here what he's saying is we partake of their spiritual blessings. We are debtors to them because if it wasn't for Israel, right, we wouldn't have know these promises, these spiritual promises, Right? We wouldn't have the word of God. The oracles were given to them. Um, so he says we're debtors to them. He says their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Right? So since we're partakers of their spiritual things, here in this context, it was their duty to minister to Israel in carnal things. And carnal doesn't mean sinful. It means physical, Right. physical things. And so he's saying, right, we're spiritual partakers. Right. We are debtors to them, so let's minister to them by giving them money and helping them out, is what he's saying here. Um, if you look at 1 Corinthians 9.11, similar thing here. He says, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things. So here he's talking about Paul himself and those that ministered to the Corinthians, right, preaching the word of God. He says, we've sown to you spiritual things, right, ministering the mystery, right, things that they uh, had learned from God. Or from Christ, he says it's not a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things, right? So, the principle is when someone ministers to you spiritually, you should minister back to them with physical things if they have that need, right? Um, so, like, it is good to give to missionaries if they're teaching correctly, right? If they're ministering to people, spiritual things, yeah, take care of their physical needs so that they can do that, right? Uh, that's the principle here. Galatians 6, verse 6. He says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. So that communicate also has to do with ministering unto him, right? So if you're taught in the word, you should minister unto the one that teacheth in all good things. So the same principle there. The one that teaches truth, right, ministers uh, the word of God, ministers in spiritual things. Those who are receiving that ministry should help right, provide carnal things for that person that is sacrificing and ministering the spiritual things. So that's the principle here. Uh, but verse 27, or one point I want to make is, this was specific to the remnant there in Jerusalem. Okay, the remnant does not exist today. So therefore this duty that Paul is talking about does not exist. Okay, I don't think we can take application to say, well, the Jews in Israel, we need to make sure we're ministering to them in carnal things. The Jews in Israel today are ministering spiritual things to us. Right, We are now one body of Christ. This was 2,000 years ago. Right? It was a different time. Uh, so I don't think you can really apply this today to say that we have to minister to Jews right, and make sure that their physical needs are met. Uh, the principle that Paul teaches is anyone that ministers spiritual things, you should minister to them in carnal things, whether it's a Jew or a Gentile. Uh, but here in this context, it was specific to this rim, Right, They still existed at this time. So Paul is saying we need to minister to them, right? It's our duty to do so. Um, So I just wanted to make uh, that clear. Also, verse 27 does not say, again, that we are partakers of Israel's covenants and physical blessings. Uh, So if you go back to Ezekiel 36, verse 26 through 32, just to show this, clearly that Paul is not saying we are partakers of their new covenant. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 32, it says, uh, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments, and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the corn, and will increase it. And lay no famine upon you, and I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field, and you shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations, not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God, be it known unto you, be ashamed and confound it for your own ways, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities. And the way shall be builded. And he goes on to talk about the kingdom being established in Jerusalem. But you can clearly see this isn't us, because it talks about dwelling in a land, right? And building up the cities that have been broken down, and providing increase of corn, and no more famine, and the Spirit being in you, causing you to walk in his law and keep his judgments. Okay, this is part of the new covenant. That's not happening today, right? Clearly. So we aren't partakers of this. That's not what's going on today. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 is another place that talks about the new covenant. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenants they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. So here you have this new covenant that's made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which is not us. Right, and they're going to have the law in their inward part. Right? That has to do with the Spirit causing them to keep the law. Well, we're not under the law. So why do we need it placed inside us to keep it? Right. Um, it also talks about how you won't need to teach your neighbor because everyone's going to know the Lord. Right? He'll be here on the earth, reigning. You're going to know who he is. So you don't need to have someone come and teach you about the Lord. Well, we have churches everywhere teaching others about the Lord. So they must not be practicing this new covenant, right? It must not be happening today, uh, and it's not. Also, another point to make is that we also have unsearchable riches. Ephesians 3, 8 talks about how Paul preached the unsearchable riches that were given to the Gentiles That's part of the mystery. So here in verse 27, it just says that we are partakers of their spiritual things. That doesn't mean that everything that we have as a member of the body of Christ was something promised to Israel because it's not. Israel was not promised to be a part of this one body saved by grace through faith apart from the law. They were never promised that. They were promised that the Spirit come in them to keep the law, right? Uh, So you can see those differences. Um, So I just want to make that clear because some people take this verse to say, see, Gentiles are partakers with Israel of their new covenant, and that's not what this verse says. But continuing on, he says in verse 28, when therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. So he's just giving them his plans. Once he goes to Jerusalem, gives them this fruit or this money, and it's the fruit of the Macedonians and the Achaeans, uh, then he plans to come to them uh, through Spain. Uh, if you look at Philippians four fourteen through 17 he talks about the Philippians having fruit to their account when they ministered to him in giving. Uh, he says notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So he says their giving was fruit that abounded to their account before God. Right, because they gave generously, again, ministering carnal things to Paul, who is ministering spiritual things to them. Uh, so the same thing here where he talks about when he has sealed this fruit. That fruit is the gift, but more importantly, the generosity and the word of God working in the Macedonians and those in Achaia to give right generously out of their heart. Um, verse 29, he says, And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Uh, so even though Paul arrives to Rome in chains, he still has the fullness of the blessing of the gospel because it's spiritual, not physical. Right? This fullness of the blessing of the gospel, it's not some physical blessing that you get. Right? It's a spiritual blessing. Um, therefore, no man can take it away. Right? So Paul arrives to Rome in chains, but he can still come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ because it is a spiritual thing. Um, if you look at Romans one eleven. He says, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end you may be established. Well, that spiritual gift is, right, the mystery. It's this epistle, right? And that's what Paul longed to see them, to give them this information, right? And so that would be the fullness of the blessing of the gospel is this information, this knowledge, right? Um, So the fullness of the blessing of the gospel is what Paul teaches in seeing that working in the Romans, Right, that would be this fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Uh, And then verse 30 through 32, Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So Paul is asking them to pray with him concerning his going back to Jerusalem. Right, and of course, Philippians 4, 6, through 7 says, Make all your requests known to God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding, right, will guard your heart and souls." Um, so it's a good thing to make your requests known to God. Doesn't mean he's going to answer it, but you can experience the peace of God when you do that. Uh, so Paul has these three requests in verses thirty-one and thirty-two that we'll look at. Uh, his request is that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, and that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Um So Paul has three prayer requests, and God doesn't promise to answer our prayers today. Uh, Going back to Romans 1, verse 9 through 10, uh, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. And without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. So in the first chapter, his prayer is to come to them with a prosperous journey. Well, this prayer request was not answered. Right, Paul does make it to Rome, but it's not a prosperous journey. Right, he comes there in chains; he's a prisoner when he gets there. So yes, he made it, but it wasn't a prosperous journey like he had made requests for. So God didn't answer that prayer. Uh, but these prayers here, in some sense, I think you could kind of say God did answer them. Um, and so we'll look at look at that. He says uh, the first one is that he may be delivered of those in Judea that don't believe. Right, because he's going back to Jerusalem to give this money to the poor saints. And he knows there's people there that want to kill him, that don't believe. And so he's praying that he'll be delivered from them once he goes back. Uh, So if you go to Acts 21, verse 27 through 32, it says, And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law in this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple, and have polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus in Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down into them, and when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. So Paul was delivered from those who did not believe here. Right. So in some sense, you could say that prayer was answered. Yes, they called him, captured him, and they were beating him, they wanted to kill him. But word comes to the chief priest that there's an uproar, and when they come to see what it's about, right, these Jews leave, right? They take off, and so they quit beating Paul. He was delivered out of their hand. Uh, Also in Acts 23, 19 through 24, uh, this young boy who hears the Jews that wanted to kill Paul, making plans to kill Paul when he traveled to Felix, uh, he comes and tells the chief captain about this. Uh, In verses 19 through 24, it says, then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, what is it that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council, as so they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait of him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young men depart, and charge him, see so thou tell no man that thou hast shown me these things shown these things to me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred, at the third hour of the night, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on, and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. All right. so the chief captain here tells the centurions, Make sure you take Paul safe to Felix. So again, these Jews had planned to kill Paul, right, to set a trap to kill him. And this young man hears it, and he goes and tells the chief captain, and again, Paul is delivered out of their hand. So you could kind of see where maybe God did answer that prayer, right? He was delivered out of those um, who wanted to kill him in Judea. Now, I think a lot of times we would look at that as, okay, well, nothing's going to happen to Paul, right? If he's praying that he'll be delivered out of their hands, that means, right, he'll never get hurt by them. And that's not necessarily true. He wasn't killed by them, right? So that's that in some sense, you could say that prayer was answered. Uh, the second one is uh, that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted by the saints. So again, if you go to Acts twenty-one seventeen, It says, and when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So I guess you could say, right, his ministry was accepted of them. The brethren received him gladly. says in the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after their customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this, that we say to thee, We have four men which have a vow on them. Them take, and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly, and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles, which believe, we have written, and concluded, that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification. Until that, an offering should be offered for everyone of them. So they don't reject Paul right here. So I guess you could say the ministry was received by the saints there in Jerusalem. I would imagine they probably gladly said, yes, we'll take the money, right, if they were the poor there. Um. So you could say that prayer was answered. Uh, and then the last one is uh, verse 32, that he can come unto the Romans with joy by the will of God and may with them be refreshed. Um, so again, he does go to Rome uh, in chains, but he doesn't pray here that he comes freely. He just says that he would come to them uh, with joy and be refreshed by them. So if you go to Rome, uh, Acts 28, which is where he arrives at Rome, In verse 15 and 16, before he gets there, it says, And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Epiphrum, in the three taverns. And when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. So you have brethren meet them before they get to Rome, and Paul takes courage, right? They probably ministered to Paul there. And then when he gets to Rome, the prisoners were taken by the captain of the guard, but Paul was able to only be kept by one guard, right? He kind of had some freedom. He was kind of under what they call house arrest, right? So he kind of had some freedom there when he got to Rome. So I imagine he did come with joy, right, that he had that freedom. And if you also look at verse 30 and 31, it says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. No man forbidding him. So he was still able to minister to people, right, face to face. Uh, People would come into his house and he would teach them. So I would imagine he was also refreshed, right, by those that would come in and he would teach and they would probably minister one to another. So you could say that this last request was also, right, in some sense, answered by God. Uh, So I just thought that was interesting when you go back to the book of Acts to look at the events that happened uh, based on this prayer that Paul uh, prayed. Uh, but the last verse it says, "Now the God of peace be with you all." Amen. Uh, the unbelieving don't know peace. Um, in First Corinthians fourteen thirty three, God is a God of peace, not confusion. It says, "It says for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints." All right? God is a God of peace. In Romans three verse seventeen, talking about the wicked, it says, "In the way of peace had they not known." Right, so when you see war and evil and confusion, you know it's not God orchestrating that, as some Calvinists might would teach, right? God ordained everything. but if God's not the author of confusion, and there's confusion in the world today, how did God ordain everything that happened? <laughs> right? um, I was listening to a guy who said that. he was talking to a Calvinist, and the Calvinist was talking about how God you know ordained everything he said. Is God the author of confusion? No, he said, uh, do you believe there's a lot of confusion in churches? Calvin said, Well, yeah, of course. And he said, Well just read 1 Corinthians 14 33. And he said, Calvin just kinda looked at him and had to think about it, right? Because it says God's not the author of confusion. So how is God ordaining everything and you have confusion and that's not what God does, right? He's a God of peace. Um, it's also interesting in Romans fifteen. I didn't write it down, but uh, he says the God of peace here, but he gives several different titles to God. Uh, In verse 5, it says, now the God of patience and consolation. So he's a God of patience, a God of consolation. In verse 9, it says that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. He's a God of mercy. Um, Verse 13, he calls him the God of hope. So you have patience, mercy, hope, peace. Right? These are all good things, right? God is a righteous God. He's a loving God. He's a God of patience, uh, a God of mercy, a God of hope, and a God of peace. Right? We should be able to rejoice and thank God for those things. Uh, but you get peace of God when you, through prayer and through obedience to His will. Um, Philippians four six through nine. says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Uh, in verse 9, it says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Right, so he says, do the things you've learned from me and seen me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. All right? The experience, peace, experiencing peace of God is different than the peace we have with God. That's right? in His standing. Romans 5 verse 1 says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Right, God's not punishing us. He's not judging us. We are at peace with Him as members of the body of Christ. But you can experience peace that passes understanding. Right? It's not something that you can explain, really, but you know you've experienced it when you experience it. Right, You just have this calming effect when you pray to God and understand His will Right, and is obedient to it. You have that peace. Uh, so he says, the God of peace be with you all. Uh, amen. So going into Romans 16, 1 through 2, uh, you see that word amen is kind of a conclusion to uh, the doctrine. I guess you could say of the book. Um, verse uh, Chapter 16 is mostly commendations and greetings. right? And He's going to mention a lot of people. And so we'll try to look at... Uh, when we go through this chapter, look at each of these individuals. A lot of them are only mentioned in this chapter. Uh, but we're just going to look at the first one tonight, uh, is Phoebe. It says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she have been a succour of many and of myself also. Uh so this is the only mention of Phoebe in the scriptures. But she received a commendation from Paul for her service. Um, So you only have one mention of her, but she was a servant of the Lord, right? She helped Paul in ministry. Um, A lot of people make the point, you may not get recognized here, right? It's not like there's a whole chapter on Phoebe talking about everything she did, but God sees, right? No doubt she'll receive uh, what she's due based on her service with the Lord, right? She was a minister of Paul, and Paul gave her a commendation, right? Um, he says to receive her, uh, as become a saint. Um, he says she was a servant at the church which is at Sincrea. Well, this is the only mention of a church in Synchria. Uh So that's kind of interesting. It's the only mention of this person, Phoebe. and It's the only mention of the church in Synchria. Uh The only other time this city, Sincrea, is mentioned is in Acts 18.18. 18. So if you want to turn there. Kind of an interesting verse. It says, And Paul after this tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Secreia, for he had a vow. So that's the only other mention of this city. So Paul apparently had spent some time there. Um, he had a vow, which was probably a Jewish vow, where you couldn't shave your head for a period of time. And if that period of time was up, so he was in Secreia. And that's where he shaved his head. (laughs) That's the only other mention of this city. Uh, But when you look on the maps, and is kind of near Corinth and Achaia. And so in Acts 18, Paul is in Corinth. Uh, You see this in verse 1. It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. In verse 11, it says, He continued there at Corinth a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Uh, So very possible, I guess you could say, just speculation that Paul's time in Corinth for a year and a half, he probably could have traveled to Sincrea several times in that year and a half, right? And ministered there, and the church was started there. And that's where uh, Phoebe served. Uh, so again, that's just speculation. There's not much mentioned about Sincrea. Uh, this is the only mention, like I said, of a the church there. And this is the only mention of Phoebe. Um, but it could have been possible when he was there at Corinth, there in Acts 18, that he also went to Sincrea some. Uh, but he says in verse 2 that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints. That term, "become a saints, means uh, receive her in a worthy manner as a sister or as a saint. So as become a saints means in a worthy manner, right, as a saint, receive her, right, give her the respect she's due when she comes, right, receive her as a sister in Christ. Um, he says, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she have need of you. Uh, Paul was not a misogynist, as some people might would say, right, Paul didn't like women. He downed women. Um, That was not the case. Um, Some may say this because he taught headship and did not allow women to teach, right, usurping authority over the men. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3, some of the verses that people say Paul didn't like women. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Right, so he says the head of the woman is the man. Uh, 1 Timothy two eleven through 12, he says, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Right, so he says, uh, women are not to teach, right? they're not to usurp their authority over a man. Um, and then 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three through 35 It also said there in Timothy that they need to learn in silence. 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three through 35 It says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. So again, I'm not going to try to explain that verse right now. It's got to be read in its context. And the context is, God's not the author of confusion. right? So there's a lot of speculation over what was happening here in Corinth. Some say the women were asking questions, trying to talk over the person speaking, and they were just causing confusion. So that's why Paul says, let your women be quiet. Right? They can ask questions at home. Is what a lot of people say he's saying there. Uh, but it's clear the context is confusion in the church. right? And Paul's dealing with that there in that verse. Uh, but those are verses where people say Paul hated women, right? He tells them, shut up at church. You can't speak, right? The man's your head. you got to do everything he says. Well, they're taking things out of context, right? Um, again, if you look at Paul and other things that he wrote, uh, you say that's not the case. Uh, for instance, Galatians 3.28 He says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul preaches equality in Christ Jesus. right? We are all one in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 28. He says, so all men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Right? So you are to love uh, your wife as yourself. Well, if you hated women, you wouldn't tell someone to do that, right? You just need to tell her what to do. She needs to be your slave, right? That's what someone who hates women would tell a man, right? But no, he says, love her as yourself, right? Uh, love her as Christ loved the church. Uh, Titus 2, 3 through 5. says, The age women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So he's telling older women to teach younger women, right? He's telling them to minister, right? So again, women can have a ministry, right? It's not like Paul says you can't do nothing, right? It just has to be in your uh, order that God set up authority, right? Is the deal there? Uh, Philippians four three. He says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. So apparently there was women that labored with Paul in the gospel. So there was people that ministered with Paul that were women. Again, women doing ministry. Uh, And no doubt one of those was Phoebe, right? Because that's what he says. Here at the end, he says she was a secure, I guess I'm pronouncing that right, of many. And of myself also, And the definition of a succur is a female guardian, a protector, a protectress, uh, caring for the affairs of others and aiding them with their affairs. So again, this is someone who maybe a patroness would be another term, but she cared for the affairs of others and aided them with the resources she had. So she helped them minister. She ministered to them, and with them. And Paul says, right, she's done this for many, and for myself also. Uh, So apparently she ministered to Paul and with Paul. Uh, Some actually believe that maybe Phoebe was the one delivering the epistle of Rome to the Romans. Um, Again, there's no proof for that. It's just speculation. But they think that's the case because he mentions her first, right? And he says to receive her, right? And she's helping me in ministry. She's bringing this epistle to you is what people take from that. Uh, So again, that's also speculation. Speculation. Uh, but it's also interesting, he says, to assist her in whatsoever business she hath needed. So maybe she was the one, right, coming, hey, this is what Paul said, I need you to do this, I need you to do that. right? This is a woman, right? So if Paul hated women, why would he let a woman do that, right, is the point. Um, that's not the case, right? Women can do ministry too, and should do ministry, right, is the point to take there. Um, but we'll finish on that. Uh, Next week we'll look at see how far we get dealing with these other people, quite a few that Paul mentions in this last, mm-hmm. the uh, any thoughts or questions.